This is an AMI podcast. This is an AMI podcast. Hello, I'm Joyita Gupta, host of The Pulse on AMI Audio. It's a show featuring in-depth conversation about the biggest challenges facing the disability community. With today's fast-paced news cycles, it's often hard to get the big picture. Join me and other members of the disability community as we take a deeper dive into the issues that matter to you. Listen to the pulse wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Are you ready? Let's go. From AMI Central. Now circling in the neutral zone. Here's the pitch on the way. 36 yards for the win. This. Here comes a big chance. The shot is, is his protector. The neutral zone. Oh, oh this is as good as it gets. Now, here's your host, two-time Paralympian, Rock Richardson. What's up, my friends? It's another edition of The Neutral Zone. I am indeed your host, Brock Richardson, and I hope you're doing well on this Friday. Joining me this week is the one and only Cam Jenkins. Cam, how are you? I'm doing pretty good, Brock. You know, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, as it should be. And yeah, just really looking forward to uh, today's guests. Yes, we have a really uh, great lineup as we tend to always do, and it's uh, we're looking forward to it. We're going to be speaking with Aaron Young and Ari Shapiro a little later on. And also joining us is Josh Watson. Josh, how are you? I'm doing well, Brock. It's been a busy week, but as Cam said, it's a nice day, and we are doing a great show, so let's uh, let's get after it. Yes, I am. Uh, I'm quite excited for this weekend. On a couple of different fronts, I am excited for the AFC and NFC uh, championship games, which we'll dive into in segment four. But I'm also going to be uh, moving my office space in my apartment this weekend. So I'll be in the same place, but just in a different location in my apartment. So it'll be a a fun weekend, and I'm looking forward to uh, making my new office space sort of a man cave shared with the cat so uh it'll be good it'll be fun and, and next week hopefully you'll hear me from a the same area but just different spots so looking forward to a great weekend so and, it's gonna uh, be a cat man cave is what you're saying yes yeah because the cat the uh, the the yes as matt just put it the old cat cave is uh is is what it'll be and the cat will not relinquish uh full tenancy out of that room so i do have to share it with the cat she is going to be none too pleased when i get off the air and we start to move things around because she does not like change so we'll see how it goes but uh looking forward to the 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 new digs uh next week so lots of good stuff ahead uh speaking of stuff ahead let's take care of business from last week which team do you think has the best chance of winning the north division in the national hockey league The results went like this, 0% Calgary, uh, 17% Edmonton, 33% Other, and there was no write-ins on that one, so we don't know who other people had as their idea for Other, and 50% was Toronto. Uh, Any surprises there, guys, just quickly? Not uh, as far as I'm concerned. I think uh, Toronto... 
um, you know, as a great team, but as uh, they've shown at the beginning of the season, um, they definitely need to get their defensive game going in order to be able to win the cup, in my opinion. And they started that journey against Edmonton, although they did lose. Yeah, I think this is not terribly surprising. I mean, I personally voted for Edmonton before I saw the start they've gotten off to because I thought with Drysaddle and McDavid, they were going to be hard to beat, but uh, that's that's not turning out quite the way I expected. I suspect our other category, those 33%, are probably Montreal Canadiens fans. And you know what? They do seem to have a good team this year, so let's let's see if that pans out. But yeah, I'm, I'm not shocked that it's Toronto at all. Yeah, me either. And uh, it'll be a tight race as nobody's out of it at this moment in time, albeit early. This week's a Twitter poll question goes as follows. Which out of the two games this weekend for the AFC and NFC are you most looking forward to? Your choices are simple. Buffalo, Kansas City, Green Bay, or Tampa Bay. And we can confirm that Patrick Mahomes has been cleared to play. So that's going to change things there as well. But again, we'll dive into that a little more in segment four. And with that, time to get to our headlines. The New York Mets have fired GM Jared Porter after he was revealed to have sent explicit texts to a female reporter. He only held the job for 38 days before an ESPN reporter came forth with these explicit text messages. This is just so wrong and so boneheaded on so many levels, I can't even begin to explain. Sarah Thomas will make NFL history as the first woman to officiate in a Super Bowl. She will be the down judge at Super Bowl. And I think that's a great opportunity uh, for another woman to break the glass ceiling. Indianapolis Colts quarterback Philip Rivers is retiring from the NFL after 17 seasons, he told the San Diego Union-Tribune. He finishes with over 63,000 yards passing, a QB rating of 95.2 with the San Diego slash LA Chargers and one year with the Indianapolis Colts. All in all, a great career. The Toronto Blue Jays have signed George Springer to a six-year, $150 million deal. We're going to speak with Ari Shapiro about this move and what this means for the Toronto Blue Jays now and in the future. To me, this is a great move, and we'll find out from Ari Shapiro about that, about his feelings. But to me, this is a great move because Toronto fan base has been starving for the uh, organization to spend money. And this is the largest contract in their history. So I think finally they have put their money where their mouth is. And to be honest with you, I don't think they are finished. So this is good news on the Blue Jay front. Those are your headlines. Go ahead. Just quickly, Brock, uh, I think it's important we recognize that the legendary Hank Aaron, baseball legend for the Atlanta Braves organization, passed away today, and he was 86. And he was another uh, Toronto Blue Jay. Um, So that's uh, sad news, but uh, definitely remembered in the baseball world. And those are your headlines for this week. And uh, coming up next, we're going to speak with Erin Young. She's going to be calling in all the way from Germany. She's going to talk all about her Canadian wheelchair basketball career and why she made the move over to the professional leagues 
in Germany. Hang with us right here on The Neutral Zone. We will be right back. And welcome back to the Neutral Zone AMI broadcast booth. And we are set to get this ball game underway. The first pitch brought to you by Brock Richardson's Twitter account at NeutralZoneBR. First pitch, strike. And hey, gang, why not strike up a Twitter conversation with Brett Wills from the Neutral Zone? Find him at Neutral Zone Brett. Swinging a chopper to second base right at CP Buchanan 13. Claire picks up the ball, throws it over to first base for a routine out. And fans, there is nothing routine about connecting with Cam and Josh from the Neutral Zone. At Neutral Zone, Cam J and at J Watson 200. Now that's a winning combination. And this Oregon interlude is brought to you by AMI-audio on Twitter. Get in touch with the Neutral Zone. Type in at AMI-audio. Welcome back to the Neutral Zone right here on AMI-audio. I'm your host, uh, Brock Richardson, joined by Josh Watson and Cam Jenkins. While we wait uh, to get a hold of our guest, uh, we did this at the bottom of the last segment, but I just wanted to give you guys an opportunity to comment a little more on Hank Aaron. Cameron, do you have a little bit of a comment? Absolutely. Uh, He was an icon in Major League Baseball circles. Uh, He's number one in a lot of categories. Uh, His most famous one was holding the records for home runs for uh, 30 years of 755 home runs. But even more than that, um, because only because of the color of his skin um, going up to getting that record, he was getting a lot of hate mail, um, a lot of people that were doing death threats towards him. And for him to be able to uh, persevere and get the home run record and hold it for 30 years, I think is really a testament to um, his character. Uh, because, you know, especially uh, in that time um, of existence, um, it's just awful what he had to go through and how he persevered to break the home run record. Yeah, it's, uh, it's so good to hear that people uh, have been able to... Uh... Break the glass ceiling, as Cameron said earlier, and and Hank Aaron uh, was no different. And we're going to bring on our next guest, but I'll give you a little bit of background before we do that. Erin Young was born in St. Albert. She played stand-up basketball for a number of years and wasn't introduced to wheelchair basketball until she suffered a knee injury in 2011. That didn't change her love for basketball. She subsequently was introduced to the sport and had a very successful career in wheelchair basketball and has made the move to play in Germany. Erin, thank you so much for joining us today. Welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. If we could start back with your injury in 2011. When you suffered that knee injury, were you thinking about returning to traditional basketball or stand-up basketball? Uh, So my first knee injury was on my right knee, and uh, when it happened, it was pretty devastating. I didn't know if I was going to be able to continue playing able-bodied sports or what was going to happen. So I really wasn't in the right headspace at all, 
and um, I was introduced to wheelchair basketball in that time, and that was all I had, and I really kind of grasped onto that and kind of been loving it ever since, really. (laughs) And Erin, when did you realize that wheelchair basketball was going to be a sport that you were going to be so successful in? Oh, geez. It definitely wasn't in my first couple years. Um, To put it nicely, I wasn't that good. (laughs) But uh, it was definitely at a women's nationals a couple years after 2011 uh, in Quebec. And I played really well, and our team actually ended up winning women's nationals. And I was named on the all-star team. And at the time, I wasn't actually... uh, in wheelchair basketball player. I was just playing for fun. And when I got called the all-star, it's really rare for an able-bodied player to get this. And that's kind of when my name started to get out there, especially in Canada. And that's kind of when I knew that I wanted to make this a career and make this more of my life. And I've been kind of on the rise ever since. <laughs> Now, you were part of the team that competed at the World Championship in 2014 that was held here in Toronto. I'm wondering if you can talk to us a little bit about that experience and what it meant to win on home soil. Yes, so in 2014, when I first made the team, I actually couldn't believe it. (laughs) I called my parents pretty much the first minutes after the meeting and I was crying and I was excited, but at the time I was really young and I was really fortunate to have so many veteran players take me under their wing and going to my first international tournament as a world championship tournament, I was very nervous and didn't know what to expect, but um, wise words from a former teammate of mine, Janet McLaughlin, she just told me to be a sponge and absorb the experience, absorb the game pretty much just absorb everything and hopefully learn a lot from it. And I definitely did. Um, I got to watch and play and we won as a team. And that's something I still can't truly put into words. Talking about it now, I'm just getting goosebumps that we we won. But I think the best part about it was winning on home soil. Pretty much when that buzzer went off, I ran on court and, was giving my teammates hugs and we're all crying, but I think the best thing was being able to look out into the crowd and see my family there, all my family really um, cheering me on, waving the flag and ringing our cowbells with big juice shirts. And I think that meant a a lot to me and it's something that's really stuck in my career and it's probably one of my best memories so far. And it's a very emotional, it's still a very emotional thing, um, but it's, it's the best, and we're actually going to be hosting another World Championships in 2026. So I'm hoping to chase that feeling again. Yes, uh, we at the Neutral Zone know about that coming up in Ottawa. And I know uh, one of our other couple of co-hosts, Claire and Brett, have vowed to me as producer to uh, reach out to our, our bosses and say, can we go to this event? Because 
it's uh, it's a really good event, and I love watching uh, wheelchair basketball. And I, I love hearing the story, Aaron, about you know family and how important family is because when you hear about those off the court moments, that's the first thing people say. You know, they celebrate with friends, teammates, etc. So it's awesome to hear you share that. We're joined by Aaron Young, who is a professional wheelchair basketball player in Canada and also right now joining us from Germany. I'm your host, Brock Richardson, joined by Josh Watson and Cam Jenkins. You're listening to The Neutral Zone. So you've chosen to play wheelchair basketball overseas. Can you talk about the decision of deciding to play in Germany? And was there a recruiting um, like process from the team over there? Yeah, so um, pretty much in my first couple of years of wheelchair basketball, there was a lot of really great Canadian athletes that um, kind of made their path of going to play in college in the States and then going to play professionally overseas. And I've always really admired that and, like, always wanted that as a career path for me because there's so many doors that are open through wheelchair basketball and wheelchair sports in general. So when I first kind of got the vibe of what path I wanted to go on, um, I made the decision to play in Germany about 2018 to 2019. 2018, I was on the fence if I was even good enough to play. And then in 2019, I was like, yes, I am in search of a team. I want to go do this. This is a big dream and a big goal of mine. And essentially, I guess the hardest part was actually just putting myself out there to let teams in Europe know that I'm available and I would like to come over and play. And pretty much as soon as I put my name out there, that's when teams start to reach out to you and contact you about obviously a professional contract and what you want out of wheelchair basketball and what they want out of wheelchair basketball and there's a lot of talking in the process but overall I ended up deciding to go with the Rhine River Rhinos in Wiesbaden, Germany and it's been the best decision I've definitely made and I I love it. I love playing here so much. (laughs) Because you have had the opportunity to play in basically three different countries, the United States, Canada, and Germany. I'm wondering if you can talk to us about what, in your mind, were some of the biggest differences from one place to another. Um, I guess Canada and Germany is about the same when it comes to rules and, like, the court and all that. Like, that's all the same. But in Alabama, actually, we play college rules. So instead of it being an international key, it's it's a narrow key. Um, there's a few small rules that have changed. Three seconds doesn't start until the ball actually is over half. But um, that's really the most, like, major point for, like, on-court basketball. But Alabama, is, is it's the South. I've never obviously experienced that being a Canadian and their accents and the different food. And obviously it was extremely hot there, but... I really enjoyed Alabama, and I learned so much being there, um, being in school, and obviously getting to play there as well and learning from all the athletes and the staff there. And then transitioning from Alabama to Germany, obviously the biggest 
difference was I was going from playing with just women to now I'm playing pretty much just men with a little bit of women. So being in Germany, I'm playing pro and I'm actually playing against literally the best male basketball players there are. So it's very intimidating, but after my first game, I kind of got the ropes of it all and I've been having fun with it ever since. But really, those are the only big differences of it all. You did mention about um, when you won uh, for Team Canada in 2014. You mentioned about cowbells, and it made me think about, can you really have enough cowbells as well as, I want to know what the fans are like um, in all the different places that you've played in as well. Uh, Yeah, so I'm a farm kid at heart, so my parents through all of my sporting career have brought cowbells to all of my tournaments, so that's just a big part of my family and our tradition. But in Canada in 2014, like there was a really big crowd, and that was my first time playing in such a big crowd, and I loved the experience, but ever since then, it's like every other game I play in, the crowd just continues to grow and grow and grow. So um, in Alabama, we had a ton of people out. Um, even the football players were coming to our games, which was really cool. And then here in Germany, obviously, because of the pandemic, we don't have fans right now, but I love it. I love being able to interact with them and they're supporting us and want just to be a part of wheelchair basketball in general. So it's, you, you're not only playing for yourselves, but you're playing for them. It's, I love it. <laughs> That's amazing. And playing in Germany with the pandemic uh, is like, is it a lot different uh, because of uh, what's happening with the pandemic? It's definitely something um, I'm still getting used to. Obviously, there's a lockdown here, and it's pretty much the same as Canada. Um, But we actually have to get COVID tests done every Thursday before we play against any other team. So every team has to get COVID tests done 72 hours before the game. Uh, If everyone's negative, then you play, obviously, if a team is positive, then the game actually gets canceled and potentially postponed for the future, depending on the severity of it all. And then, of course, there's no fans allowed at all during the games. And it's really unfortunate because uh, playing pro in Europe, the fans are a huge part of it, which I, I knew about, but I obviously won't get to experience it this year. They will come with big drums and bang on it and there's a hundred to a thousand people in the crowd it depends on the game and who you're playing but it's intense and obviously with the pandemic that's not allowed so that's something definitely we have to get used to but even just not being able to shake your opponent's hand after a game we just kind of wave at each other and say thanks thanks for coming but not even being able to shake your opponent's hand after a game is something I'm still not used to yet, but I'm adjusting and it's a, it's a learning curve obviously with this pandemic. And I think that the German league has been doing um, really well with all the precautions and safety of the athletes and the staff. 
Yeah, I think the thing you just said about the fans, I think that's what a lot of people in uh, professional sports are missing. And we all hope to have it back. And by the sounds of it, you're making it sound like a soccer game with banging of drums and things like that. So that's, that's <laughs> got to be a huge part. Aaron, we've got about 30 seconds left. I just want to ask you this quick one. Um, we know that Tokyo um, governments have uh, trumped some of the stories out there that says the games are not going to run. What are your thoughts on on Tokyo moving forward? Obviously, I'm still really hopeful that it happens and we get to play and perform at our highest level, but with the pandemic going on, you can never just you can never hope too hard or I don't know. It's it's a lot to take in. It's kind of you hear whispers from all over, especially in the wheelchair basketball community. But I do hope it stays on and I do hope that we can all perform at our highest level and hopefully Canada can come home with fans or not with a gold medal to share it with people at home. Here, here. I hope that as well. Aaron, thank you so much for taking the time to do this interview today. We really appreciate it and hope to have you on down the line. Thank you so much. That was Aaron Young, who is a professional wheelchair basketball player. She's played for Team Canada and is currently over in Germany uh, competing in their professional league. Coming up next, we're going to talk to Ari Shapiro about the recent signings from the Toronto Blue Jays, get his thoughts. And we're also going to talk about the AFC and NFC champion chip games this weekend. Stay with us for the second half of the Neutral Zone. We'll be right back. If you want to leave a message for the Neutral Zone, call now. 1-866-509-4545. And don't forget to give us permission to use your message on the air. Let's get ready to leave a voicemail. Welcome back to this show. We give the name to the Neutral Zone. I'm your host, Brock Richardson, joined by Cam Jenkins and Josh Watson. Joining us now is friend of the show who's joined us a few times over the past three years, and that's Ari Shapiro. Ari's coming on to talk about George Springer signing with the Toronto Blue Jays. Ari, thank you so much for coming back on the show. Always a pleasure to talk to you. And you know it's always a pleasure for me to join you, Brock. Good, to, good to hear your voice uh, after all this time. Ari, it's uh, Cam. The Toronto Blue Jays—they did sign George Springer to a six-year deal, hundred and fifty million dollars. What type of player are the Jays getting? Well, Cam, it's also great to hear your voice. I might add, because it usually means that we're talking about the Blue Jays in some philosophical, philosophical manner or another. Uh, and so I appreciate you just coming out firing by asking me point blank, what are they getting? Look, the Blue Jays are getting a player at the heart of it all that should be regarded by the day standards as a top 15 player in the league. This guy has been one of the better uh, major league players in the last couple of years. 
and everything about him is likable. You know, George Springer was kind of like that guy that you would see baseball highlights when you weren't following the Blue Jays, let's say. And then you'd always kind of, you'd say to yourself, you know, you'd listen and you'd hear and, 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 and get the latest updates about what he's accomplished. And you think to yourself, man, this is the kind of player that, uh, that I wish the Blue Jays had. And I think what's fascinating for a lot of fans who pay attention to the stats and the nature of the game is that when you have an opportunity to get what's regarded universally as the best free agent in the pick of the offseason litter, you've done something very good. And so in this regard, the Blue Jays went out and they uh, effectively told their fans, um, we'd like to go and compete next year, and this is the kind of player that we feel can help us. And and really, when you think about it, to get a center fielder with above-average speed who can play well defensively and have a, a gold bat that you can put in the heart of your lineup, and all you had to do was go out and spend money during the offseason, this is an absolute blessing for the franchise. Now... There's certainly a lot of excitement within the Blue Jays fan base because we were able to get Springer. Uh, saying that, there's a lot of apprehension with some people because of uh, Springer and being with the Astros and that whole sign-stealing uh, incident. Um, what would you say to the people that are a bit apprehensive about George Springer and him being a cheater? That's a great question, and really one that uh, has been front and center the moment that the signing was made. Uh, Being on social media and giving yourself a chance to read and and listen about uh, the various different moves the team makes, you will find that there are some people who will take great exception to the fact that although this is, as I mentioned, a a phenomenal player with, with almost unrivaled talent, pound for pound when you consider that he's not even a very big guy. He's just a very great national baseball player. The fact remains that he was associated with the notorious 2017 um, Houston Astros. And and that's not just any team, as we know. That's the team that won the World Series because during their home games, 40 or 50 times in a given game, you'd hear the sound of a, of a trash can being banged, which was a clear indication, as we now later learned, that there was a lot of cheating going on, a whole lot of cheating going on, the kind of cheating that unfortunately we thought um, would stay with the game longer, but considering how quickly a lot of the culprits in that uh, whole scheme were were quickly rehabilitated, and of course I'm talking about uh, their, uh, you know, A.J. Hinch, and I'm talking about Alex Cora, and, and, and a lot of the executives involved, they seemed to get away scot-free for the most part. The players, of course, we know did as well. What's interesting about Springer is that even though he was part of that group of, of cheaters and people who were doing everything they can to get a leg up by using these types of uh, um, dis- disgraceful uh, aspects to, to bolster their chances at winning the game, what is noteworthy is that George Springer, even with the cheating, indicated to, to Major League Baseball that he's a natural talent. If you look at what he's done in the last couple of years, especially 2019, he had his best year. And leading up to all the cheating, if you really do a quick analysis, and again, I'm, I'm splitting hairs here. I want your, your audience to understand that um, he did cheat. And, and that's something that I think will, will have to be reconciled by people on a moral level or an ethical level if they kind of look at the player and judge his character. But it should also be worth noting that in, in high-leverage situations, it actually hurt him. George Springer actually did just as well not knowing what the pitch was in many cases. Um, than he did in, in situations that mattered. Uh, it seemed almost like 
by adding in the aspect of him knowing what the pitch was, it actually confused his game slightly. Uh, I think that that doesn't absolve him of being part of that cheating, but it's at least nice to know that if you look at his, his numbers, if you look at the way that he performed, it, it doesn't show you that this was a player that was completely reliant on that. I don't know how much that helps people reconcile the fact that he did cheat, it's very regrettable that he's associated with it. If, if he didn't have that one lingering odor behind him that he was part of those those gangsters or hoodlums, I don't know what to call them. I have a lot of contempt for what's happened, Cam, as you can tell. Um, it's going to be interesting for people to try to stop and ask themselves, how much credence do I give this, and am I willing to accept him as a member of this team on the basis of coming to this team and proving to me that he is a great, honest baseball player? It's going to be a tough question for, for fans of the team to, to deal with. Now, I am a, a big baseball fan, and, and it's Josh. We haven't had a chance to speak yet, but I'm curious, with these moves that have taken place so far, does this help our chances in the American League East? Without, without a shadow of a doubt, Josh, this is uh, an opportunity for the team to gain a measure of positional flexibility that really didn't exist which is the reason why we've had to endure a reality where the team still strikes out quite a bit because there are players in that outfield like uh, Teoscar Hernandez and Randall Grichuk who are providing air conditioning for the Skydome single-handedly. That being said, Hernandez demonstrated last year before getting hurt that he has a chance to be a real force in the lineup in terms of home run power. But I think at the end of the day, the Blue Jays wanted to create an opportunity where they could look at at Lourdes Gurriel Jr. in left field and Grichuk in center and say to themselves, how can we best upgrade this team by adding players that can ask us the real honest question, is this the best position player we can get? Well, when you go and get the best position player as your center fielder in Springer, you now have this kind of ability of, of, of searching for real flexibility where you didn't have it before. And considering that pitching is still a priority and needs to be addressed with this team, what this does now, especially in getting a Kirby Yates and a Tyler Chatwood, is they've solidified the bullpen. Now they're looking for a little bit of help on the starting pitching side. Getting a Springer gives them enormous collateral now in being able to dangle a Guriel or a Hernandez or a Grichuk and create a more optimal situation. So to answer your question, Josh, the team is much better and will be able to contend with a Springer. But if they can make another move to shore up their starting rotation, now you're really talking about something serious in the American League. Now, to shore up the rotation that you talked about, do you think that they're going to do it through free agency, or do you think that they are going to do it through trades? And I think you already mentioned uh, two or three players that they may be able to use as trade chips. Well, it's interesting. About uh, two weeks ago, if you'd asked me this question, I would have thought that uh, how they would go about upgrading their starting rotation uh, was a lot simpler because there were options. There was uh, there was a Japanese import in Sugano that they could have looked at, especially given the success they've had going into the international market and getting a pitcher like Ryu at the end of the day who's been able to prove himself at the major league level. I would have liked them to have taken a flyer on maybe a, a, a low-risk, high-leverage high guy like, a, like a Sugano. And then, of course, you've got situation with Liam Hendricks, which looked like it was going to be a slam dunk for their closer, and instead they've had to go with a a reclamation project, although some would argue if he's healthy, Kirby Yates will be absolutely lights out. The fact is, this team has a lot of questions with players like uh, Nate Pearson and Orion Barucki that might lead them to kind of stay the course and let their homegrown talent 
slowly develop. I think they'll still try to throw some interest at a pitcher like a, a Paxton or, or maybe even, you know, do something absolutely incredible like go after Trevor Bauer because this Springer acquisition has demonstrated they're willing to spend the money to make the team better. And considering that Mark Shapiro picked up a five-year extension earlier this month, it's obvious he's here for the long run and sees an opportunity to develop with this great nucleus of young players. And there's no denying that. The fact is that with the acquisition of Springer, pound for pound, this Blue Jays lineup is uh, is finally one you can consider elite. When you've got a nucleus of uh, Bo Bichette, Kevin Biggio, and Vlad Guerrero Jr. as your focal point in the middle of the lineup, you need to go out now and get pitchers that can get the job done. You don't have to go out and spend and go after Bauer necessarily, but the fact is right now the back end of the rotation is still up in the air. And if they can go out and get one more player that might be available, a middle-of-the-line guy, you'd be surprised how well this team can do as it slowly starts coalescing behind this kind of huge free agent acquisition. So if you're a Blue Jays fan, I think there are really good times ahead. It's frustrating for those of us longer in the tooth who had to deal with the fact that Mark Shapiro first had to dismantle this team and do what he called the soft reset. But after this offseason, there's no doubt in my mind this team will be a force to be reckoned with for many years to come. Ari, we really appreciate you taking the time uh, to join us on multiple occasions and your 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 knowledge and understanding of giving us the breakdown of what the Blue Jays are going to look like is undeniable, and we hope to have you on again in the future. Thank you so much. It's always my pleasure. I, I really enjoy being on your network and, and the great work that you do. It's a, it's, a good, it's a real pleasure of mine to be a friend of the shows and to all of you. Uh, be well and stay healthy. Thanks for the time. Thank you very much, and we love what we do, and we love what we get to to do here at the network. So thank you very much for being a part of it. Cheers. Be well, everybody. That was Ari Shapiro, who is a writer and podcast host who has joined us a number of times on this network. And today he was giving us a breakdown of the George Springer signing and what that means for the Toronto Blue Jays now and in the future. Coming up after the break, we're going to preview the AFC and NFC championship games happening this weekend in the NFL. Hang in. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Neutral Zone right here on AMI-audio. And you're joining us on this Friday, of course. And I promise you, if you're not excited about the Blue Jays season after hearing about Ari Shapiro and what he gave us today, I don't know what would get you excited. Guys, if you're a Blue Jay fan, that would be pretty exciting uh, to hear about the future of uh, the Blue Jays, wouldn't it, Josh? It definitely would, and I certainly hope he is right about our chances at either Bauer or Paxton. I think both of those would be an upgrade over some of what we've got, so really hope he's uh, he's right about that and have no reason to doubt him. Yeah, Bauer would be, uh, would be another acquisition I think would just solidify Blue Jay fans to recognize you know the, the the brass and the management they are willing to spend money and uh, i hope that this continues and i really don't think the off season is finished as he so well put in that last segment so we thank him for joining us this week as always 
Um, let's move towards talking about the NFL uh, games from last week. Uh, guys, is there a game you want to highlight? Josh, start with you on this one. Sure. I'll, I'll just fire the opening salvo here. I think the actual Super Bowl matchup, if you want to call it that, is going to be the NFC game with Tom Brady versus uh, Aaron Rodgers. I mean, you've got two incredibly experienced quarterbacks. You've got the frozen tundra of Lambeau Field, which should actually be frozen from what I've heard. <laughs> I just I, I, I think that is actually going to be the best game of the next three weeks. I, I hope I'm wrong. I, I really do. Um, I just I don't know what we're going to get out of Kansas City with with Patrick Mahomes being cleared. I don't know what kind of quarterback he's going to be, so I'm looking forward to the NFC game. Yeah, okay, so this is, Cam, before I get to you, this is where I want to be clear because Brett Wills, of course, if you know Brett Wills, our co-host, he jumped you know, off the cliff of, oh, Patrick Mahomes starting, so it's basically jammed on. I don't know if I agree with that. Do I believe... The Kansas City Chiefs will probably come out on top. Yeah, probably. But as Josh said, I don't know what kind of shape uh, he's going to be in. I mean, he's got the, the foot issue. He's got the concussion. I'm personally shocked that he is cleared to play. And I, I don't know if he's even going to be 75 85% healthy. I cannot imagine... Cameron, that he's 100% healthy. No, uh, how can he be 100% healthy? But if, uh, you know, the doctors have cleared him to play, then who am I to say that uh, he shouldn't be playing? Um, even if he is at 75%, does that mean that he's still going to be better than Josh Allen? Um, you know, it really is going to depend on the D of Kansas City. And is Josh Allen going to be able to scramble like he usually does to kind of get the offense going? Because over the past two games, Josh Allen, he's uh, run for 57 yards. And that's the most out of any player on the Bills team. So he's running the ball more than the running back. So, <laughs> so like a little in scary. one sense... No, absolutely. So I don't like the Bills' chances in one sense if they have to rely on the running game. But if Diggs, if he can have his third uh, you know, game in a row of 100-plus yards, maybe they will be able to do that. But I think the KC defense is pretty darn good. So, you know, it, it's going to be a tight game. But you know what? I can't go against the Bills, so I'm going to go for the Bills. Wow. Yeah, the thing, I, you know what, I... I want to i'm in a in a in a pool where we pick the winner of each um each game and there's a part of me that wants to pick buffalo but then i sit and i think okay is this the fan in me that's you know picking the the buffalo bills i don't know but to me josh there's one word that if i'm uh, the coaching staff of the uh, buffalo bills i'm using one word with josh allen and that word is blitz 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 because force him to move on that foot force him to show that he's quote-unquote 100 percent healthy and 
and make him use that foot. Do not let him sit back there in a rocking chair all game and just throw the ball like like it's you know some regular Sunday afternoon. No, come after him. Be quick on on on, on the uh, defensive line and make sure that you get to him as quickly as possible. Absolutely, and I do think there is one thing that we should clarify for uh, for our listeners. It is not up to the Kansas City Chiefs or even Patrick Mahomes to decide if he is healthy enough to play. There is an independent neurologist who is involved, and he has to pass, uh, he being Patrick, has to pass through all stages of the concussion protocol in order to be cleared. So it would appear that he's done that. I don't know how. We watched him last week wobble off the field. That's that's the only way I can describe it. It was shocking it was to me. Yeah. 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 Just like a penguin He's, wobbling away. Exactly, exactly. So if I, I do agree with you, if Buffalo can get after Mahomes, make him move, make him test that foot or ankle or calf or whatever it is down there and and just just knock him down a few times see how that head responds to to hitting the ground again um, i it, i think it's, then they they have a shot but definitely if mahomes gets knocked out of this game they they have a very the, the bills have a real shot but can we it's trust no the neurologist because we all know what happened when the nfl was talking about concussions and they kind of put that underneath the rug and are they still doing that or are they actually uh, doing what they should and thinking about the player's health? Because, you know, especially when it's their um, face of the NFL, I don't, I can't trust him. I totally understand that. Come on, Cameron. And I wish you could see the smile on my face as, as I say this, I wish we were in studio, but you have to trust that independent quote unquote independent evaluator who is going to say, uh, you know, he's clear. The NFL has never done anything wrong in their history, so why can you not trust them? <laughs> and I can't even say that with a straight face. Of course you, know, you can. <laughs> oh, dear. I brought up a point uh, at the end of the day. And, yeah, like, yes. I don't know. I, I think Patrick Mahomes should not play, um, although I want the Bills to win, but I want them to uh, beat the best. And if Mahomes isn't there, you're not going to beat the best. But I still think Mahomes is going to play uh, at 75 or 85%. He's still a lot better than most QBs in the league. I'm saying the Bills are going to win it, though. And and let's wow. be honest, guys. The NFL is completely aware of what matchup they would want. They want well, either Aaron Rodgers or um, uh, Tom Brady versus Patrick Mahomes. The, there's no sexy story about Josh Allen. The, if you're the NFL, I'm sorry, Josh Allen has done wonderful things, but if you compare through all three of those quarterbacks, he is the least of the quote-unquote sexy story, and the NFL knows what they want, and that's that's where we are, unfortunately. Josh, you were going to chime in there briefly. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that... The, the Chiefs, and I hate to disagree with you, Cameron, but I think if Mahomes is starting, the Chiefs oh, come on, have, don't. have the better chance. I, I really do. Um, having said that, um, yeah, there was a point I was going to make, and it uh, disappeared, so that's okay. 
<laughs> I, I, guess, I was going to interrupt you saying that. Of course you want to disagree with me on this one. <laughs> you don't no. need it at all. No, I just, <laughs> I, I value your opinion. I just, I cannot look past that. what, uh, what Mahomes did last year. And mm-hmm. let's not forget there are very few quarterbacks in this league that have won back-to-back Super Bowls. And so that's what I'm talking about, about the sexy story. Yeah. There's, there's no way that if Mahomes has anything to say about it, he's going to miss this, this chance to go on to the Super Bowl because he wants to be in that echelon of quarterbacks that have won back-to-back Super Bowls. The uh, game. Go ahead. Yeah, Cameron. I was just going to say about Green Bay and the Bucks because we haven't talked a lot about them. Um, you know, I think that if the Bucks kind of play a zone defense on Aaron Rodgers, uh, because Aaron Rodgers, um, you know, when he has his own defense going against him, that's when he can throw the interceptions. And in week six, he had a multiple interception game. And it was because of the zone defense that the Bucks played. So it's going to be a hard game there, too, especially if, uh, like I said, the Bucks play his own defense. But I'm uh, thinking the cheeseheads are going to come out uh, ahead. Yeah, between yeah, that one. Lambeau and the and the weather and yeah, I, I think that's entirely possible as well. Although that game is a lot harder for me to call just because the two quarterbacks are so experienced. Yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth, Josh. That game is really hard uh, to call. I, far be it from me to say that that a six-time uh, Super Bowl winner isn't going to do it, but the elements are not going to be on uh, the side of, uh, of Brady and Brady's up there. Brady's, uh, 42, 43. 43. And it's, uh, same age as me. Father time has to catch up to him at some point, but I've said this for about four years while we've been on this network and I've been proven wrong before. I just want to get quick thoughts because this hasn't been discussed a lot, but Cameron, do you think we've seen the last of uh, Drew Brees in a football uniform? Yeah, and for, well, and it's not really unfortunately because he's had a phenomenal career. I think it is the um, last game that you're going to see him play, and unfortunately, he had three picks in his uh, you know potential last game, um, which is kind of um, not the best way to go out. Uh, but once again, like I had mentioned earlier uh, with the Bucks and Green Bay, that is just that zone defense. And once you start doing that to a quarterback, um, that's when the interceptions can happen. So, yeah, um, great career that Breeze had. Um, fortunate last game that he had. But, yeah, I think uh, he's done. Yeah, I agree with you, Kim. It's, it is it is a bit of a shame just because of what Drew Breeze means to that city. I mean, he was there through Hurricane Katrina and seeing that city rebuild and that that entire team has just kind of rallied around the city. And Breeze was a big part of that. Um, But based on the injuries he had this year with the 11 broken ribs and, and everything and just the way he reacted after the game was done last week, I I think he's going to hang him up. Yeah, I think so, too. I think. It's too bad that he didn't have the second shiny ring to go along with the first one. But nonetheless, great career. That is the end of our show. I'd like to thank Josh Watson, K. 
Cam Jenkins. I'd also like to thank our technical producer, Matt Agnew. Our technical supervisor is Paula Deneen. And our manager of AMI Audio is Andy Frank. Tune in next week because you just never know what may happen when you enter the neutral zone. Enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the playoffs. And we'll talk to you next week. Be safe. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca.